You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. What does it mean to put our hope in a God we can't see? What does it mean to walk the walk of faith? This is our sermon series, Water and Blood, Finding Rest in Jesus, Our High Priest. Peace be with you. I said, peace be with you. What a joy it is to be with you all this morning. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, truly you are good and your mercy endures forever. You are faithful. You are kind. You are all wise. You don't just do good. You are good. You just don't give us truth. You are truth. You don't just show us beauty. You are that which is most beautiful. And we pray, Father God, that you would allow this worship experience and this word that is about to go forth to settle in our hearts so that we would see you more clearly. We pray for healing, for victory, for peace for clarity, for joy that only you can bring. Even now, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. What a joy it is just to worship with uh, you all this morning. And what we uh, called Diversity Sunday. And I want to give you uh, a little bit of, of history about uh, Diversity Sunday. We had our first Diversity Sunday um, about in 2017. And the way in which Diversity Sunday came about um, was uh, as we were looking at churches that uh, were larger but homogenous, um, who had made a change from being a um, homogenous church to a multi-ethnic, uh, truly diverse church, uh, we ended up talking to them, uh, myself and uh, a, a pastor who's now at uh, Sojourn Carlisle, Nick Wyrens. We interviewed multiple churches. We uh, studied them. We asked them questions. And, and one of the things that they had in common um, was that at some point they realized that they wanted to uh, show the congregation where they were headed. So they had a specific worship service in which they just highlighted and talked about uh, race and what Christ has done for us in his, uh, through his cross to bring together people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. And a couple of churches that we really uh, looked at said, hey, it may seem cheesy or it may seem too easy, but we ended up having it around the time of Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday. And so at the time when I came to Sojourn Midtown in 2016, um, we were uh, just about all white, uh, a large percentage. And we were really having a hard time just kind of catching that vision. So we said, hey, let's try it. And let's put before uh, our congregation people who uh, speak other languages, who are from different cultures, so that they can see this kind of kaleidoscope of colors and cultures uh, come together. And let's bring in uh, some worship leaders who are uh, non-white, who could sing and who could give us a picture of where we hope to be years from now. And that's what we did. 
And as I think about uh, where we started in 2017 in that service, uh, the, a lot of the people who participated in that worship service were not members of Sojourn. There was people that I knew. Uh, the key vocalist for that Sunday was a person that was from outside our congregation. And the whole goal was just to show, hey, here's where we're where we're headed. Here's what we think God is calling us to, namely because we live in a community that's diverse, a community that is majority black. And we don't want to build a church on top of a community. We want to be a church in the community. We want to be a church that reflects the community. We want to be a church that when a community comes into our church, they can say, hey, there may be some things that's uncomfortable, but man, this could become home. We can live on mission together. Fast forward to today, 2022. By God's grace, everyone who participated in today's worship service is, belongs to Sojourn Midtown. Every person who sung, every person who read scripture are our members here. And that's after six years, we're starting to see this vision really take root. And they say that culture is what you teach, what you tolerate, and what you celebrate. And so part of us doing this at least once a year, there's been years that we've done it multiple times, is we want to uh, continue to press into that vision and say, this is who we are becoming. We want to reflect heaven here at this church. And so thank you for uh, participating in this vision and thank those who uh, today uh, read scripture. It took quite a bit of courage for people to do so. Um, who are not used to being on the platform and maybe reading either in their native language or in a language that they took time to discipline themselves to learn. And wasn't it so courageous to see little Asher up here? Asher's almost a grown man. He's like, man, I'm a grown man, Pastor. (laughs) But man, reading in French as he uh, grew up in France on mission as a sent one with his mom and his dad, courageously standing here before people. How beautiful. How amazing it is to be a part of a church that wants to move in that direction. And it's moving in that direction imperfectly, but with our faith in Christ. And so that's what we uh, do on Diversity Sunday. And and today I want to step away from the norm of what we normally do on a Sunday and just preaching through a specific text. And I want to pick up on the texts that have already been presented today and kind of give us a vision, a sermon Um, on where we are as a church that values diverse fellowship. Most American Protestants say that they want this type of fellowship. Um, Studies show that that most of them say that this is what I want. This is what we want to be a part of. In fact, one study shows that when a group of American Protestants was asked this question, here's how they answer. So churches work toward greater ethnic diversity. When asked this question, 80% of people said yes. Would you be comfortable worshiping alongside a multiplicity of ethnicities? Well over half said yes. Do you attend a church that consists primarily of a single ethnicity? Over 86% of them said yes. And so we see that there's a gap in what people want and what they choose in terms of who they worship with here in America. And as a result, American churches are not merely segregated as one Sociologist says they are hyper-segregated. And the reasons for this gap between desire and action are complicated, right? 
Uh, some of the reasons that people don't go to a church that is multi-ethnic or to have other ethnicities is simply because they live in a homogenous area and there are no other ethnicities around. It's, it's more complicated than what I just put out. But regardless of why people worship with people who are similar to them, both in race as well as social um, economic uh, status, the fact remains is that this needs to be a burden for the church. The church needs to talk about how um, Jesus has saved a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue and called us to live together as one in him. And this is a huge ministerial burden for me. I personally feel the call to press into this issue um, for a, a number of reasons. Years ago when I was a young minister, I remember um, hearing someone speak on a very specific subject that they said they had a burden for, for. And so even though they are a general minister of the gospel and preach the gospel about um, in all uh, kind of ways, they had a specific burden for an area. And I remember praying after hearing that person and saying, Lord, would you give me a specific burden, something to put uh, my hands to for the rest of my life? to call people towards. And I believe that this is the area that the Lord has given me a ministerial burden, but the good news is that I don't carry that burden alone. In fact, I believe that each of your pastors here at Midtown share the same burden. I see many women and men who are part of this church because they share a burden to see God raise up churches that are pressing into a multi-ethnic, multi-social, economic, multi-generational vision. And this is why one of our six core values here at Sojourn Midtown is a diverse fellowship. But the diversity that we are after, the diversity that we are pursuing is not diversity for diversity's sake. And I don't believe that every church should or can pursue this vision. As I said, some communities are just homogenous. Some churches aren't ready to do this. They'll cause more harm than they would good. Um, some churches and even minority uh, populations, I, don't, I just don't think wise in certain contexts because there's a certain amount of, of history and shared uh, culture that it's good to pass on to the next generation. But there are churches whom God, I believe, is calling to press into this issue. And I believe that Sojourn Midtown is one of those churches that God is calling to, to value this and to lead the way to what Pastor Jarvis Williams calls redemption, redemptive kingdom diversity. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 12, we see the Apostle John describing the heavenly people of God surrounding the throne of God, and he depicts ethnic and cultural diversity. This community that is around the throne of God is so beautiful that it causes all of heaven to erupt with praise for the wisdom of the one who designed it all. Let's listen to these words. John says, and there is a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and along with the elders and the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessings and glory and, and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. And there was a, a 
vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Perhaps what's most striking about this vision is how God's people, how, how they aren't described in this text. John could have highlighted their social statuses or their economic standing or their human families, but he didn't. Instead, the Spirit of God led the man of God to spotlight the ethnic and cultural diversity of the people of God. And according to Jesus, marriage and childbearing will not persist into eternity. Our social economic status certainly won't last past the coming of God's kingdom. And yet our ethnic and cultural identities apparently will. And that's very significant when we think about why as churches we should pursue living together, worshiping together as one new man. In the prayer that is often called the Lord's Prayer, we know that Jesus prays, Our Father who is in heaven, who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I believe that this prayer is a plea for God's revealed will to be practiced on earth no less than it is in heaven. So if God's will for, is for a vast multitude of people from every nation, tribe, people, and language to gather together in the heavens, whenever we ask God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, part of what we're praying for, even if we don't recognize it, is that God's kingdom diversity would be here and now. Of course, the diversity in John's vision will never be completely realized in this life just like our own holiness won't be completely realized until God glorifies us at the end of time. Still, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive for both diversity and holiness now. The promise of perfect holiness in the future compels us to pursue holiness in the present. And the certainty of John's heavenly vision in the future should drive us to strive for a life like heaven here and now. And this is what we want to pursue here at Sojourn Midtown because we believe that ethnic diversity in the church is both a future hope and a present calling. John Stott has a, a powerful quote that I often meditate on. He says this, the more mixed the congregation is, especially in class and color, the greater its opportunity to demonstrate the power of Christ. The more mixed the congregation is, especially in class and color, the greater the opportunity is to demonstrate the power of Christ. So today I simply uh, want to lean in uh, for a few more minutes into this value of being a diverse fellowship. And the reason I want to lean into this value of us being a diverse fellowship is because it's a part of our story and who I believe that the Lord has shaped us and is shaping us to be. And I also believe that we need to clarify some things about how we're going to pursue this as a church. So this is a bit of a family talk today. I'm just going to keep it 100 with you. I'm going to keep it real. And we're going to talk about these things and, and hopefully shepherd you uh, towards where God is calling us. And we're going to do that through three simple movements. The first is we're going to look back. We're going to look at the past. 
the history of Sojourn Midtown. Some of you, and a lot of you actually, um, have come since 2020. 2020 was the year of great transition for our nation. Anybody who was thinking about moving had the means to move, they moved. And a lot of you, maybe 20 to 30% of our congregation is new. And so we want you to know where this church has been. We also want you to know where we stand in the present in pursuing uh, this as a value. And this is one of six values that we have of of the church. And then I want to close with a call for you, um, every member here, to embrace uh, three very specific things. I'm just going to rattle them off real quick because I believe that this will help us to grow um, as a church in the here and now. So the first thing I want to do is just reflect on the journey to become a diverse uh, fellowship, to reflect on the journey to become a diverse fellowship. In the year 2000, Sojourn uh, became a, a church and started off with many young women and young uh, men who uh, were excited as young adults and teenagers to pursue Jesus in a way that felt comfortable to them. A lot of the early sojourners felt that they just didn't feel comfortable in the average uh, church that was here in Louisville. And so this gathering started in an apartment building with uh, a bunch of uh, young adults, and quickly they began to experience renewal. Um, And they were uh, filled with zeal and creativity. Uh, They believed in having fun and learning, and they had a lot of youthful ignorance. (laughs) Fast forward to 2012, a lot happened in those 12 years, a lot of moving, a lot of failing, a lot of learning, a lot of repenting, a lot of beauty. And Sojourn really was hitting its stride. It was growing and multiplying, and it had moved from the Germantown neighborhood, which is right down the street, and it literally crossed the tracks into the Shelby Park area. And those who were pastoring and leading as it crossed the tracks, they uh, knew and realized that there was a uh, a big uh, hurdle. And that hurdle was is that those, the people that were here in Shelby Park weren't the people that were in Germantown. Those who were just across the tracks were predominantly African-American. And there are other cultures as well. So men like Nathan Ivey went into this move, talking to pastors and saying, hey, we are in a different situation and we have to come in as learners and put boots on the ground and serve our city. Because a church should never move into a neighborhood to simply build on top of that neighborhood. Every church is called to be in that neighborhood. A church should never use space in a neighborhood because it's space and not engage the neighborhood. And so Sojourn began to, to do that and try to continue what they had been doing in Germantown, but, but make it towards this neighborhood. And so women and men, pastors and non-pastors, staff and non-staff begin to try to meet the needs of the community. They develop tutoring programs, neighborhood cleanups, and more. And while this was happening, I was at a church called Forest Baptist Church, a church that I love dearly, and my wife and I love to this day, very dearly. And I began to consult with Sojourn Midtown from uh, time to time on how they uh, can reach their community. I developed some deep friendships with some of the pastors here and learned from Sojourn and became um, very uh, fond of the things that were happening here. 
And in 2013, I was invited to uh, teach at what's called pastor school here at Sojourn, as well as the urban experience. And I remember being asked to speak multiple times on the subject of how this church can be a faithful learning witness in this community. And I went back down memory lane a couple of days ago and I went back to my Google files and I pulled up my first talk and it was called 10 B's of Bridging the Gap. And knowing I'm horrified when I read old stuff that I wrote, but I was like, this wasn't too bad, all right? <laughs> it's like, that wasn't too bad. But I began to interact with Sojourn Midtown and began to see what God was doing. Fast forward to 2015, Mike Hosper preached a sermon entitled Jesus' Race and the Wall of Hostility. And his message took a hard look at the challenges of African that African Americans have historically faced here at the church. And this marked a crucial moment for many members here at Sojourn Midtown. For some, the sermon felt overdue, and for others, the sermon felt harsh, especially since it was the first time Sojourn ever addressed racial issues from the pulpit in a prophetic way. But what that message did was it started a conversation amongst members and within the church that should have been had years ago. And I think that Sojourn's pastors, in looking back, have learned the importance of framing this conversation in a holistic view, unfolding it in a priestly way and not just a prophetic way, not simply giving one-off sermons. Fast forward to 2016, and I came on as the lead pastor. And the reason I came on as the lead pastor was because the Lord was making very clear to my wife and I that we both shared um, a love for just all ethnicities and this vision that the Bible has for some uh, local churches pursuing that to show off the glory of Christ. And it was a hard move for us, but we, we came and we followed that calling. We followed that burden. Since then, I meant many organizational changes and losses, and as a result of a, a committed core of members and staff and pastors, great strides have been made to cultivate this diverse fellowship. I think one of the biggest blessings that came out of it and one of the things that helped shape us deeply on this subject was a focus group uh, that some in this room actually participated in um, in 2016. Things were a bit hard as I came on staff and I was having a hard time putting words to things that I was experiencing. So we brought together uh, about 40 uh, black and brown uh, persons along with their uh, spouses to just ask some honest questions about how they experienced Sojourn. The majority of those persons weren't currently at Sojourn. I tried to find everybody that I could find, people who are members, people who visited once and looked like they wanted to be members, people who visited who never would become members. <laughs> People who were part of Forrest who came, I'm like, bring them all in the room. Let's ask some questions to see what their experience are. And what we found was that most of the people who attended this focus group, they were gracious and they were honest to tell us their experience. And we uh, did it in the most professional way possible, following principles for qualitative studies. And what we learned is most of them really felt the weight of worshiping in a very homogenous space. And they felt often uncomfortable overlooked. But those who were a part of Sojourn, they stayed because they 
um, were being convicted and challenged and encouraged by the preaching. They saw the creativity and the arts, and they loved the emphasis on international missions. I remember setting this study out that uh, Nick Warrens and I did. It ended up being like a 37-page document along with Ryan and uh, Selenia DeLapp. And we set this study out before the pastors. I remember the pastors just slowly reading this study. And there was a sober, holy angst that just filled the room. and, And some pastors teared up. And they began to ask questions like, what what do we need to do? And we came up with a, a seven-step plan of how we are going to worship Jesus together and pursue this diverse fellowship. And a lot has happened since then. Since then, by the grace of God, we've done a lot to press in. We invested in, in staff by reading books together. We visited churches that were years ahead of us in this area. We hosted forums and lament services when racial tragedy uh, struck. We wrote songs that gave attention to this Revelation 7 vision. We learned to weep with those who weep. We pressed into Shepherding Church by regularly writing liturgies, by hosting classes, by doing book studies, by doing training on collaborative conversations. We've installed multiple African-American pastors and just installed our first Hispanic pastor. And we've are in the process right now of going through a pastoral training with our first pastor from the Middle East. Not to mention, by God's grace, that we've been able to plant three churches since 2016. Two of the three are led by black men and are currently flourishing. Our sin team and groups ministry have been intentional too, not to mention our arts ministry and our adoption and foster ministry And the Lord has allowed us to make great steps. In March 2020, the the race conversation came to our city, and it came hot and heavy with the killing of Breonna Taylor. And I live down the street from here, and memories of police sirens, helicopters, marches, and constant tension right here in this neighborhood stay with me to this day. And I believe that this was one of the turning points for our church, but also for our city. And as pastors, we continued and began to wrestle in a new way with how do we shepherd our people through this issue? We wrestle with how do we demand justice from those who lead in our city while showing compassion towards the many women and men who serve our city as police officers and national service guards. We wrestled with how do we encourage people to use their right to protest peacefully while making it clear that rioting and violence and burning things down on the way out is not the way of Jesus. It was a tough time. And not to mention it was something called a pandemic going on at that point. I mean, our city... Our city went through it, like through it, through it, like for real, for real. Since then, we've learned a lot. We've continued to wrestle with it. And we lament that as the smoke cleared, 
Two police officers and seven protesters were shot, along with the death of a popular barbecue stand owner in the West End. During that time, our response was threefold. It was to preach the gospel and address the issues that were facing us with the gospel. So we did a gospel race and justice series. We intentionally held prayer services and lament. We went out one morning and prayed and we cleaned up the downtown area, offering free coffee to those who were both protesting and to those who were serving our city. The Lord allowed us to learn so much during that season. Just the other day, I was flipping through some of our our pictures just as I was preparing this and reflecting on this kind of update and talk. And um, I looked at one picture where there was uh, dozens of young adults who were at Sojourn um, at our house uh, during that time outside with mask on. It was 2020. I'm like, wait a minute. Um, and sadly, as we looked at that picture, we realized that specifically in 2020, many of them um, moved away to be closer to family, to take jobs, to try something new. And I remember when we first came back in 2020, the end of 2020, 2021, whenever we started gathering again, everybody had on masks. And, and just before the pandemic hit, I remember thinking, like, this is amazing. There are so many uh, black and brown uh, people in our church, so many people that were speaking different languages. I was like, man, the vision is on its way. And post 2020, once we came back, I remember thinking, wow, the vision is gone. We have to start over from scratch. And there was a deep tiredness and sadness that set in. But man, your pastors, we prayed specifically that the Lord would revive this vision by sending people from all cultures and colors. And and suddenly we had people who were visiting and, and joining. And since then, I've gotten to chop it up with people from who are from Korea and have Korean barbecue, which is the best barbecue, I'm convinced. And I got to hang out with uh, Hispanic brothers and sisters who weren't here before or African uh, brothers and sisters who weren't here before. And I saw this vision come and I saw whole families joining. I saw some families come who said that they had a burden about this and they were at other churches who either remained silent or who were very antagonistic towards pursuit of justice and came off as political in a way that um, was not healthy joined. And so today I stand before you, taking you back to the past in a long way, hoping that you would just endure this pastor fumble through where we've been in order to set precedent of where we're going. But before we do that, where we are. There's a way to have this conversation that I frankly think that is unhelpful. And I want to give you three unhelpful ways to have this pursuit of a diverse fellowship and three ditches that we are intentionally avoiding here and then a path forward. So that's where we've been. Here's where we are in the present and how we want to pursue this value. The first approach that is unhelpful is the approach of anti-racism. Somebody like, ooh, pastor. (laughs) Anti-racism. Now, when I say anti-racism is an approach that we want to avoid, I'm not saying that to be against racism is unhelpful. (laughs) Of course, we must oppose racism. 
But secular anti-racism is saying more than that. And the agenda or the program is unhelpful as it often swings the pendulum against uprooting injustice too far by categorizing people into two categories, either those who are oppressed or those who are oppressors on the base of their ethnicity. And they often do this without regard for anything they've, uh, that these persons have actually done or where persons are on the journey. And this approach tends to create a power dynamic and a culture of victimization that I found unhelpful and unhealthy. When calling people to root out racism, some forms of secular anti-racism can do it in a way that actually ends up alienating people who may have genuine differences, but who are committed to standing up for hurting and marginalized people. Also, some forms of anti-racism short circuits the collaborative conversations that are necessary for us to welcome one another with hospitality, humility, and joy. And besides that, research is showing that secular approaches to anti-racism, at least in workplace practices, don't help. They actually when you study those companies five years later, do more damage and set the company back than before. If you want to learn more about this, I encourage you to read uh, George Yancey's Beyond Racial Division. He's a sociologist at Baylor who has done a deep study on that. Second, ideology that's unhelpful is the ideology of multiculturalism. And when I say this in a secular way, this vision of multiculturalism, the way that it often shows up in society is that becoming multicultural is the ultimate goal. And because it's the ultimate goal, um, oftentimes people do it at all costs or they have a very shallow pursuit of diversity because the goal is just to get people into the room. There's no depth to it. It's It's pretty shallow. Sometimes they don't even talk about the issues that are amongst the various uh, ethnicities that's present because that's not the goal. It's kumbaya as long as we're all together. And I've actually seen this infiltrate the church. I have the joy of uh, talking to churches from time to time and consulting. And sometimes I'll come in and answer questions and look at the church and and go on the website and see what they're preaching about. And I look and I'm like, man, this is all y'all talk about is diversity. So much so to the goal for your church is to become diverse in the mission of the church, which is to disciple people into the kingdom of people from um, every nation, tribe and tongue takes. Yes, it takes a backseat. And what becomes most important is is this kind of fellowship of differences. And many times there's a, a shallowness there of doctrine and pursuit. And so while this is an important pursuit from us, this is not the ultimate pursuit. We believe that as we pursue Jesus, that this is a value that we need to be intentional about. But at the end of the day, this is not the only thing on our scoring card. Years ago, I I met with a pastor named Chris Beard. He's out in Cincinnati at a church called People's Church, and we eventually brought our staff up. Chris was a part of a homogenous church that... uh, and was really uh, stricken with grief when a um, African-American man was tragically killed near his church. And he was burdened with this. And so he started pursuing um, this diverse uh, fellowship at his church. 
But I remember sitting down with him and talking to him about what he learned and what he would do different and what he uh, 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 did to help foster a church that had 37 nations uh, represented at the church just 10 years later. And he told me some good things, but he also told me one of the things he lamented. He said, early on, we made this our goal. And as a result, we unintentionally hurt people. And I look back at some of those conversations, I I, I just lament it because people left because we had our foot on the gas so much that we didn't really shepherd them. And we want to avoid that here. We want to uh, follow the spirit. And he's learned from that church has grown into being a very diverse church. But we uh, want to grow in knowing when to put our foot on the gas and when to put this before our people and when to let up. Third, colorblindness. Somebody said, "Mm." coming for everybody. (laughs) One of the the most common responses that Christians have borrowed from the world around them to try to ignore colors and cultures altogether is things like, and this has been said to me a lot, (laughs) you know, when I see you, I don't see a black person. I just see a person. And another way of saying the same thing um, happens when people declare, why can't we all just be colorblind? And this bothers me, one, because I'm a black person. I'm like, I want you to notice that I'm black. That's a good thing. It's not a problem (laughs) to be solved. It's a gift. Just like however the Lord shaped you is a gift. But most of the time when people make these appeals to ethnic colorblindness, they mean well. And there's some truth behind what they're saying. But most of the time what they mean, even as they point to Martin Luther King Jr., who says that um, his dream is one day that his kids would be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their uh, character. Most of the time when they even quote that or think like that, what they're missing is, is that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was not advocating for society where we don't appreciate people's cultures and colors. He was actually saying that to draw attention to uh, African, the plight of African-Americans here in America and those who were, were poor. And he was saying, hey, we need to draw attention to this community, love this community, and care for this community. And my dream is that one day we as a people will become, become so versed in this area and love justice so much that the first thing we notice is a person's character, not necessarily the color of their skin. Many times when people make this argument for colorblindness, they actually do it to stifle the conversation because they don't want to feel uncomfortable. They do it because uh, they don't want to talk about the hard things of, of race. And I get it. It's not easy to talk about. And yet we want to reject colorblindness because the scriptures reject colorblindness. If the triune God wanted us to be blind when it comes to someone's ethnicity, then we have to ask some questions like, why did the Holy Spirit guide Luke to highlight ethnic origins of the seeker in Acts chapter 8, verse 27, noting that he was Ethiopian? If colorblindness is God's design, then why does Luke's spirit-inspired words Specify the African origins of two teachers in the church of Antioch, even going so far to mention the darker flesh of one. 
If God doesn't delight in different colors and culture, why did he display his glory by spinning a vision of numberless multitudes from every ethnicity before the eyes of the Apostle John? In Revelations 5, 7, 21, colorblindness is not the way. There's a better way that acknowledges the colored blessedness of God's creation and God's people. And this is a way that we are calling a multi-ethnic kingdom culture, a, a, a term that Timothy Paul Jones and I are using in an upcoming publication. And here's what we mean. We're talking about sojourn and applying this better way of doing ministry, we believe that Sojourn's goal is to create a context where people develop a gospel-formed identity that simultaneously includes and transcends their ethnic identity. Knowing that whatever is true and beautiful and good in each ethnic identity will persist into eternity, multi-ethnic kingdom culture is able to celebrate a diversity of ethnicities in the same community while simultaneously seeing Christ himself as our superior and central identity. To embrace the gospel is to be adopted in Christ. We read this in Ephesians chapter 1, 5, 2 through 22. And when that happens, Christ himself becomes our central identity, transcending our ethnic and cultural identities. Listen, without replacing them. And so we reject the ideologies of anti-racism because it swings the pendulum in a way that tells certain people to sit at the kid's table and it just take it. We reject colorblindness because it ignores the fact that God has created every single person in here, white, black, Asian, Latino, Middle Eastern, whatever you are, whatever shade, whatever culture you are, in a very specific way for his glory. And there is goodness, truth, and beauty in, all, in it all, in all cultures. We embrace our physical and social identities, but we don't find and place our greatest stock there. We place it in the fact that we are part of one new man in Jesus Christ. We pursue this multi-ethnic kingdom culture together as a church. When we come to church on a Sunday and we receive that call to worship and we lift our hands to God and worship him, we embrace this kingdom culture when we confess our sins together. When we lament at the brokenness that is out there in the world, but that's also in us. We create this culture when we sit at the foot of the cross together and hear about the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We embrace this culture when we pass the peace together, when we sing songs together, when we're sent together into our various neighborhoods and the nations with a message that says Jesus saved, saves and he is redeeming a multi-ethnic, multi-social economic, multi-everything, generational church for his glory. And the walls of hostility have been torn down in his body. 
So here's an invitation, quick invitation for every member of Soldier in Midtown to lean into this vision of a multi-ethnic kingdom culture that embraces one's identity while finding an identity in Jesus that transcends it all. The first is this, embrace what the Bible teaches about God's multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-social economic family. This is what the Bible teaches. And some of us, we ignore that because either we want to remain comfortable or because we've been hurt. And I'm telling you that Jesus wants to heal that. And he has a vision for the people of God that is absolutely beautiful and amazing and that can only be done when we surrender to the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to heal us and to move us towards people who are different. Than us. John 17, 22 through 23 says, Jesus says, listen, I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, the, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. There is power when a redemptive, diverse People gather together in unity, not in uniformity, but as one. It points the world back to a triune God who is united, but even who within the persons of the Trinity are individuals and who are different. And it points them as they see this community who are actually talking about these things with a depth and with the gospel to what only God can do. Jesus said, you will know my disciples by the love that they have for one another. If you look at a certain ethnicity in people, and we all to one degree or another struggle with this, and you have, have hatred or lack love towards those people, you are not walking in the spirit. God wants to heal you through his spirit and his gospel. And he wants you to embrace that one of the unique factors of his bride is that she is a multi-ethnic bride. Two, embrace the journey towards a diverse fellowship with love. Multi-ethnic churches have multi-ethnic problems and multi-ethnic rubs. Building this type of community, it takes patience. It takes time. 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a picture of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not rude. Love is not self-centered. Love bears all things, believes all things. And if we're going to press into this, man, we're going to, we're going to have to be spirit-led. And we're going to have to intentionally walk in love. That's going to take patience. It's going to take patience towards me. I'm trying to figure this out. I feel like um, towards the end of my, my ministry, whenever that is, that I'm, I need to start thinking about writing a, a book like uh, Augustine did, where he just basically did a retraction of everything that he ever said in his ministry that was wrong. <laughs> I'm like, that's wisdom right there, because we all see through a mirror dimly. He's like, let me start correcting my own work, right? <laughs> and even as we're pursuing this vision, your pastors are going to make mistakes. You are going to make mistakes. But part of being family is being patient with each other. 
talking about our differences, listening, praying together, and pressing on towards the vision. And I just want to praise God for those of you who have been here for a long time, who have been patient and been loving in this pursuit. I want to praise God for white brothers and sisters who received some some hard messages, sometimes that um, came out the way that they were intended and were straight from the Lord, and and sometimes that um, could have been said better. And rather than, than running, you stuck it out with patience, you spoke up, or you prayed for your pastors and your leaders. And I want to praise God for my African-American brothers and sisters, my uh, Asian brothers and sisters, my uh, Latino brothers and sisters, my Korean brothers, whoever you are, Middle Eastern brothers and sisters who continue to be a part of this vision, who have been a part of this vision, even though they've given up a lot of preferences and comfort to be a part. And third, I want to praise God um, and call you to, to just press into this vision by intentionally living life together. It's very easy in today's society to just kind of be in our enclaves, to go home, go to work, to hang out with our few friends, and to just remain comfortable. But I believe that we experience the power of the Holy Spirit when we step outside of our comfort zones and we move towards uh, people who are not like us. And some of us, we are missing um, experiencing the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, who is our paraclete, who is our comforter, because we are staying in our comfort zones. And I just want to encourage you to begin to pray, Lord, help me to step outside of my comfort zone by chopping it up with people who are in my church but different than me, by having meals together. Not so that I can say I've got a fill-in-the-blank friend. I've got a friend that's over 55. I've got a... Y'all know what I wanted to say, but I was like, that might be a little risky. Y'all so silly. I begin to pray, like, Lord, how can I, like, help me to do it in a way that is wise, in a way that generally wants to learn and grow? so that I can experience Jesus in a way that I haven't experienced before because packed into our culture and our experiences as Christians is elements and parts of the kingdom of God. And it's only when we're together that we get to see that mosaic and that beauty more fully. Thank y'all so much for listening. This is outside of the norm, but I I feel like the Lord was calling me to press for clarification. By the grace of God, we are going to avoid these secular ditches. We're going to continue to pursue this diverse fellowship with humility and love. And Lord willing, we're going to look up years from now as we have today and say, man, look at where the Lord has brought us. We may not be where we want to be, but we sure as heck is not where we used to be. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. 
At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.